What is up, Bitcoiners? I am back, Ansel Lunar, Bitcoin and Markets, after a little hiatus. I'm getting started on this uh, whole podcast feed again. I have been doing podcasts on Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, this feed has not had an episode in two months, and before that, I think it was like four months where I didn't put out anything. Uh, but I'm back, and I'm going to try to do some short stuff every week and see how that goes. So today, I want to take a look at M2 and Velocity and why they don't really matter, but why people might think they matter and the claims out there about M2 and Velocity uh, and go from there. So let's go. All right, guys. Yes, I have been on hiatus. If you want to support my content and you want to help me have more time to make more content, then you can buy my book, BitcoinDictionary.cc. Check that out. Uh, also, you can become a member, BitcoinAndMarkets.com. There I put uh, my newsletters come out there. I have a member stuff, member-only stuff. But for $5 a month, you can support me over on the website and get access to all my member stuff. And don't forget to check out FedWatch on the Bitcoin Magazine feed. Okay, let's get into M2 and Velocity. So what is M2? Well, I don't want to dumb, dumb it down too much for people because I know like this show has some of the sharpest people in Bitcoin uh, and Bitcoin has some of the sharpest people in the world. So uh, I don't want to dumb it down too much. But for just in case anybody uh, is new to money, new to Bitcoin, and they're just finding this show uh, for the first time and they want to, they don't know what it is. Let's go over it real quick. So uh, M, these M numbers, M0, 1, and 2, they are the different definitions of money from the Federal Reserve. M0 would be base money, and that is coin and currency, you know, dollars, and also reserves held at the Fed. So if Bank of America, big banks, they hold 10 billion, say, at the, the Federal Reserve, or today it would be like 500 billion at the Federal Reserve, then that 500 billion counts as part of base money. All right, next one is M1, and that builds on top of M0. M1 includes checking, uh, checking accounts, any sort of demand deposit where it is there immediately. There's no delay in me getting that out, right? That is uh, that I can use it in a transaction. I can use my checking account in a transaction. So that is uh, M1. Now, M2 is even broader still than that. And M2 includes all savings deposits. It includes uh, retail money market funds and other kind of time delayed cash equivalents. So as long as you can get access to that cash within a business day, I don't know exactly what the rules are here for this, but uh, it's, it's like really quickly, you can get access to that money, uh, but not immediately to be able to use it in like a point of sale transaction, then um, that would be considered part of M2. Now, one of the problems with these measurements is they're not, uh, I mean, they're not exotic enough because some of the, the products that we have, these financial products out there in the world, all over the world that use dollars, uh, won't be represented here, right? And another thing, dollars held like in a Singapore bank, how about savings deposits denominated in dollars held in Singapore wouldn't necessarily be on M2, right? And maybe a derivative over there in Singapore or Hong Kong or Tokyo denominating dollars would not be part of this, this measurement. So it's really just a First off, it's a small little window on a specific type of money, which doesn't really 
give you a good picture, right? Like if you have this, say you have uh, some 1080p television, I don't know, some high def television, and then they, they only give you a two inch square at the bottom left. And that's what you see. Okay. Well, the entire rest of the picture looks completely different. I mean, you might be able to see some things in that tiny little section in your bottom corner of your TV screen, but you're not going to get the whole picture, right? And that's what this M2 is like compared to the Euro dollar system, the entire system. You're, you're not able, it's just a tiny little fraction of it. Now, people will look at the chart of M2, especially in these times where the M2 is increasing a lot. And they'll say, oh, look, inflation is happening because people understand, people are starting to understand or they, they have understood, I guess, for a while, but they're starting to understand more that inflation is about money supply. And uh, I mean, the Fed is trying to help them understand it that way. I'm, I'm telling you that 10 years ago, it wasn't that way. Okay. The Fed would not tell you that this was inflation. Um, 10 years ago, the Fed was still trying to tell us that inflation was a product of employment and velocity and yada, 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 right? Well, now the Fed is telling us, yes, we printed a lot of money. It's going to cause inflation and we're going to let it run hot. They've changed their story. I mean, people, gold bugs have been saying that for a long time, but now the Fed is helping them. So a lot of people are starting to think of inflation as this quantity of money, of printing of money. And M2 is supposed to show us that. But really, then you look around, you look at the CPI, and the CPI, I think, had three quarters in a row. It must have been three months. Uh, three months in a row of negative numbers. And that was the first time in the history of the CPI. Now, some people might. Uh, so, okay. Just to, for listeners that aren't aware of what the CPI is, is that is um, consumer price index. And it measures, it's supposed to measure inflation. Now, how good of a job it does measuring inflation is a hotly contested issue. But uh, for the most part, I believe that it is the best measurement that we have. Uh, that probably will get a few people's blood boiling <laughs> in in my normal listenership here. But really, I mean, what what is alternative? Okay, the CPI is very hardcore detail-oriented. It's open source, open source people. It's detail-oriented. They, I think they try to make a good best effort at uh, estimating inflation. Now, just because it doesn't match, it doesn't result in what you think is happening with inflation, uh, you know, you might not like it, but the CPI right now is the best measure of inflation we have. Why don't I like the Chapwood Index? I, I was on Marty Bent's podcast last week. Uh, thanks for having me on, Marty. It was a blast. And and he mentioned the Chapwood Index there. I kind of, on purpose, didn't want to go into it because I thought it might take a while and I didn't necessarily want to get into that. So, but let me just break it down here. The reason why I don't like the Chapwood Index and why it's not really that good of a thing in the first place is that... It's closed source. We don't know how it's weighted. We don't know how it's figured. And they have a stated goal to state inflation that's over the CPI significantly, right? Because they say, oh, the CPI has, on their website, it's like the, the CPI is significantly underrating inflation. And so we are going to show real inflation. And so that means that they're going to show significantly higher inflation than the CPI. That is their stated goal. And it's closed source. Yes, they have a, the list. You can find the list of, of all the goods that they use in their calculations. But you don't know how it's weighted. You don't know, like, do they collect it 
on October 1st versus September 1st versus January 1st. Uh, when do they collect it? How is it calculated? What is the, like the error? You know, cause you could collect it at maybe a couple different places, collect data a couple of different places and have an error. How do you correct for that? And I mean, it's just, there's a lot of stuff going on with this type of measure. It's very, very difficult. And they don't say any of that. It's closed source. So that's the problem with the Chapwood Index. If they want people to take it seriously, they need to open source their stuff. Um, anyways, so CPI is the best measurement that we have. I think it's generally a good faith effort at uh, measuring inflation. So let's get back on M2. M2 is going up. Uh, hockey stick style, and then people are like, oh, look, inflation is just around the corner. Prices are going to go up dramatically. That's what they say. And we've been waiting for it for years and years, decades and decades. And in my lifetime, yes, I think in my lifetime, I can say from what I remember, so I'm almost 40. And in my lifetime, I can definitely remember prices from say when I was 10 or 12. So I'm talking 30 years here. Um, prices have gone up, Okay but they haven't hyperinflated. In my experience, maybe double. Double in 30 years, take that back. I mean, that's 2% a year. And that's what really we're running. And that's what the CPI shows, right? One to 2% a year. So whatever, shoot me. <laughs> shoot me if you don't like that. But that's, that's what I have noticed in my lifetime. So M2 is showing hockey stick. Now, why wouldn't, won't this go into inflation? Well, well, we're told that it's velocity. The velocity of money is how fast money turns over in the economy, right? The technical definition of it is the gross domestic product divided by the measurement of money. So if you're looking for the velocity of M2, it's going to be GDP divided by M2. And that's going to give you the velocity number. So what has been happening? Well, it goes down. As M2 is going up, the velocity goes down and people are like, oh yeah, well, we just wait, velocity will come up, and that's when we're going to get the real hyperinflation from all the money printing over the last two decades. It's going to happen when we get velocity up. Yeah, all right. Well, <laughs> velocity is, just look at the equation, GDP over M2. So if M2 goes up, velocity has to go down. That's it. It is an inverse relationship. 100% by definition, it's an inverse relationship. As M2 goes up, velocity goes down. The only way that you'll get velocity to go up is if you get GDP to go up, right? So that's, that's when people bring in the fiscal stuff because they know that just making M2 go up according to monetary policy and the Fed quote-unquote printing money, you make M2 go up, you're not going to get velocity to go up. And so you're not going to see inflation. Now, this is how the, the, they step through, like, People are starting to step through this. Oh my God. So we need fiscal policy. We need the government to spend money to make GDP go up. So let's pull that apart a little bit. GDP is also an equation and it is consumer spending, government spending, investment, and net imports and exports or whatever. So the difference there. We can just sweep the import exports thing off to the side for a second because that's a different discussion. But um, the U.S. is very negative almost every single year in the past 70 years has been very negative so we have consumer spending and investment would be roughly mirror images of each other because as consumer spending goes up usually investment has to go down right and as you invest more then you have less to spend 
so you will spend less. So those will kind of move opposite directions of each other. So the, the last part that I think GDP really measures, this is the only thing that GDP really uh, is measured by, and that is government spending. So if government spending goes up, GDP will go up. But we get growth from the equation, not from like real growth. This is just a growth on paper. So anyway, uh, people will say, oh, we need a, to make GDP go up and velocity go up. We need government spending. We need to get and print that money, the fiscal spending. Well, let's <laughs> we can dive into that and why that's not inflationary either. Because fiscal spending is just taking money. They borrow money from the people, right? They borrow money from Bob that's saving it, and then they spend it. It's not printing money. It's just taking money from one person to another and spending it. Okay, so we kind of detailed that out. Uh, what else we have? So we know why. We know what M2 is. We know M2 is used by people uh, to show this hockey stick and, and say the, the sky is falling. Uh, we're going to have inflation any day now. It's just a matter of time. So you need to buy gold and you need to buy Bitcoin and, and all this. I mean, I'm sympathetic to that argument. And I use that argument for many years. Um, but I don't think that's what's going on. I did not understand the intricacies of offshore money and the euro dollar system. Now that I know the intricacies a little bit more, then uh, it just doesn't work like that. I think, like I've, I think I told uh, Jeff Schneider this, but my big wake-up call was when I was watching the yield curve invert in 2019, and I was like, "Holy shit, dude! We never had inflation. That means like all of that printing that we did, or the Fed did, didn't cause inflation. Why? Why is that?" <laughs> So you got to question your assumptions and you got to tease it apart and, and see what's going on. And the big thing is that all of these things don't measure money. M2 does not measure money. Velocity is just an equation. And they're, <laughs> it's like, okay, so you start with M2. That's not really a good measure of money. And you plug it into an arbitrary equation of for velocity that uses GDP, which is an arbitrary construct itself with M2, which is an arbitrary construct, and you're supposed to get like some sort of rational idea that, oh my God, we're going to have so much inflation. It doesn't work like that, people. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. So anyway, that's all I have for this episode. Hopefully I'll get something out here again soon. We'll talk to you later. Peace.